It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Podcast presents Brett Baer's All-Star Panel. America's got to be in the lead if you want to deal with these threats. We're going to lead. The morning is over. The shiva is done. And if you're a conservative, you should be optimistic. You know, my main priority right now is making sure that it delivers for the American people. Yeah, the president sounded like he's concerned about it, but no specifics, no change in policy. We have to make our country great again, and I will do that. I think the president gets criticized by people all the time for the stuff he says, by people who ignore what he does. This week, Brett Baer is looking back at some of the all-star panel's most interesting conversations surrounding America's foreign relations. We'll bring in our all-star panel, co-founder of The Dispatch and host of The Remnant podcast, Jonah Goldberg, Democratic strategist and syndicated talk radio host, Leslie Marshall, and Republican strategist and former campaign manager for Senator Scott Brown, Colin Reed. Well, listen, this trip to Guatemala and Mexico obviously has significance. It's the first foreign trip um, that the vice president is making, uh, and it is also Jonah you know, notable that she's talking about the root causes of the border crisis, but hasn't really visited the border states. A lot of Republicans make a big deal out of that. But the border issue still very hot and heavy down there in those states. Yeah, uh, this is, you know, this is a pristine example of how uh, you don't get the reality you want. You get the reality that fake gives you. And this was not a key agenda item when Biden got elected. It's not something he talked about that much when he campaigned other than to sort of do the ritualistic denouncing Trump's actions at the border. And it's a hot mess. And he should actually know what a pickle he's put his vice president in because his old boss, Barack Obama, did the same thing to him when he was vice president. And he didn't make that much progress on this problem either. I do philosophically agree with the administration that if you can make these Central American company countries more prosperous, and safer, um, it would solve a lot of this problem. That's just that's just a very, very heavy lift. And I haven't seen anything from the administration that suggests they've got a real handle on it other than just sort of trying to run out the clock. Leslie, uh, you know, Senator Harris, when she was campaigning for president, um, tweeted out that uh, she was standing in solidarity with refugees and immigrants who are in her words being targeted by the Trump administration and they should be allowed uh, to come in the country. It's not who we are now uh, today in Guatemala. She is saying, quote, do not come to the United States. Uh, we'll continue to enforce our laws, secure our border. We, as one of our priorities, will discourage illegal migration. And I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. Um, obviously different messages in those times. It depends which uh, people she's talking about when she's uh, in a nation like Guatemala and she's saying to the people, please don't leave here. It's different than people that are trapped in Mexico or standing at our border. I mean, one thing I would have to say that I, uh, two things I agree with Jonah on um, is increasing economic opportunities in places like Guatemala and Mexico certainly are, are necessary. 
And two, that this is something that administrations right or left have kicked down uh, the road like a can, sadly. And uh, it becomes a problem and continues to be a problem uh, for every administration. And it will until you have some cooperation. We also have to look at sometimes when we put our foot in it, though. I mean, you know, we we arrested the former <laughs> Mexican defense minister and then, you know, Department of Justice attorney general at the time, Bill Barr, was like, oh, my bad, you know, back up on that. You know, for about two years, we've really had some problematic relationships specifically with Mexico uh, regarding this. Mexico and Guatemala and a lot of these countries also have a terrible relationship within their own country because they're, you know, they're more afraid of the cartel, the military and the uh, politicians than the cartels are of them. Um, so this is a, a multifaceted problem. It takes a multifaceted approach. And one thing I think that we have to do is we have to look at our broken asylum system. And that's something that takes more than just uh, a vice president going to meet with these countries. Uh, that takes bipartisan support uh, in D.C., in, in Congress, and, you know, just even piece by piece passing legislation that, that, that can get us uh, you know, on the path to improving the situation, because quite frankly, immigration is a mess. And one of the reasons for it is our broken asylum system. I mean, you know, people, people don't realize that, you know, you, you, you have to come here to do that. You can't, we don't have the opportunity in these countries to uh, apply for what they're coming to the border to apply for. And so a lot of these people are just like lemmings until some policies change, not only within their borders, but within our own borders as well. Right. And I guess, Colin, the Republican criticism is that they were sort of like um, a bug zapper in the backyard in that you attracted all of these folks by changing the policy or at least forecasting that you were going to. Yeah, Brett. And if there's any truth to the rumors that Joe Biden and his team harbor any sort of ill will toward Vice President Harris based on her treatment of him during the primary campaign, uh, the list of issues that he's put on her plate. Uh, would bear that out because between the border crisis and COVID relief early on and now voting and election reform, he, he's really passing the hot potatoes to her. And uh, as vice president, she's responsible for carrying out the, the, the orders of the administration, uh, which, which thus far have been, have been scant. But I think the bigger issue uh, for, for Vice President Harris is politically her stock has dipped uh, since she became vice president. And many people see her uh, as perhaps the next in line, uh, should President Biden not run for uh, election again in 2024 or in 2028, it makes sense. The vice president is naturally uh, the heir apparent. But but here's the issue. This crisis isn't going to wait till then. Uh, it's be- bedeviled administrations left, right and center for the last four decades. And so far early on, uh, all the actions of this administration toward the border have involved wasting time arguing whether or not it is a crisis. It is indeed a crisis. And it's a crisis that's only getting worse. It's been exacerbated by the economic disparity in Central and Southern America, uh, and, and which has gotten worse with the pandemic. And we need to send a message to the world that uh, our, our southern border, uh, we need to be able to control it. It can't just be a welcome mat for all who come here uh, uncontrollably. We need to be able to control who comes in, who goes out, and that has real uh, consequences for our e- economy and our national security. And so far, uh, the idea that Senator Vice President Harris would separate the two, whether it be for political reasons or others, separate the idea of the underlying causes from the border, well, they're inextricably linked and they need to be uh, tackled part and parcel, not separated out just to avoid getting stuck with a hot potato on your plate. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. 
we'll bring in our all-star panel. Founding editor at the Washington Free Beacon and AEI resident fellow, Matthew Cotnetti. Washington Post columnist and AEI resident fellow, Mark Thiessen. And former Tennessee representative, who is not an AEI resident fellow, Harold Ford. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> not yet, but I mean, it's early. It's early. At the end of this podcast, we could be getting an invite. The president said, I shared with our allies what I'll convey to President Putin, that I'm not looking for conflict for with Russia, but that we will respond if Russia continues its harmful activities. That's really the message. Look, I, I would agree. I think that, what, that what's been said by both Matt and Mark is, is the frame of it is, is largely right. I, I would differ a uh, slightly different view of why I think the meeting is important with, with Putin. And I think you just touched on it. Rightly so, Brett, and that the president spent time with NATO leaders, G7 leaders. Uh, he's listened to them share their concerns about Russia. He has shared his concerns. Many of them we probably all know because they've been in the public narrative, the press narrative for the last several weeks, months, if not a uh, little long, if not longer than that. Uh, and he was able also to talk with the Queen. Uh, so I think, you know, he will now with this one on one meeting be able to share what he heard, convey what he heard. And I hope he shares directly with. Uh, Putin looks him right in the eye and, and says tit for tat with if you if you if you mess with our energy industry and pipelines again, we're going to do the same. Uh, we would like to find cooperation. But if you choose to go a different route, we're prepared to go a different route. And I think the meetings he's held with G7 and NATO leaders will be able to underscore to Putin uh, that even if you built this pipe, even if you complete this pipeline and you envision it, allowing giving you more leverage than you than you thought you had before, you should know uh, our allies, America's allies in the G7 and NATO will stand with us and not with you. So, you know, again, I, this is not to totally differ with Mark and Matt, but I, I think some of their framework is right. But I, I differ. I think this meeting has real utility and real purpose. Uh, and I think the meetings at the G7 and NATO have been productive for this president, not only around Russia, but around China as well. Yeah. And that's another question is about China. Is there something positive matthew in the in the words of these allies saying that they kind of like the boring g7 that they kind of like um <laughs> you know this uh not a twitter feud uh every day i mean um they just like that that flavor of meeting better and they probably like ideologically this leader better uh, well, there's no question. And in fact, you can look at some opinion polls and just uh, public opinion in Europe in general has uh, swung toward approving of the Biden administration and America uh, now that we have a new president. And so, sure, the Europeans like uh, Biden's leadership. They like the um, uh, Democratic Party. They're more comfortable with the Democratic Party in power. Um, and I think the real, I think each summit or each meeting that Biden has had um, or will have in the past several days has, has been of increased difficulty. So he meets with the G7 and they release a communique. You know, it's pretty good. It says that we believe that they were in a, a competition with authoritarian regimes like in China and Russia. And, you know, don't ask us about the details because we're still working those out. But in general, we're all on the same page. He goes to NATO. And I think the NATO powers had some real concerns. I think the NATO powers are concerned about the manner in which America is leaving Afghanistan, about the rising uh, Taliban influence there. 
about the security of the uh, Afghan government once America leaves. Uh, NATO, of course, has to deal with uh, uh, the Turkish uh, president uh, Erdogan and his authoritarian tendencies. There's conflict there. There remains conflict over um, burden sharing. And then there's this larger question of, well, what is NATO's purpose uh, in the 21st century. Um, and there's some real dis disagreement or even resistance to the idea that NATO should take a stronger hand outside the European theater. You know, should NATO be involved in conflicts in the South China Sea? This was an alliance, after all, that was created to defend the Fulda Gap in Germany against the Soviet Union. Um, and so then you finally, you get to the summit with Russia and there too. I mean, just look at Vladimir Putin's pattern of behavior since Joe Biden came to uh, power. You know, Biden, uh, first he uh, renews the New START Treaty, the nuclear agreement with Russia, no questions asked. He does that at the outset. What does Putin do? Well, he throws his opposition leader, Alexei Navalny, in jail. Navalny has a hunger strike. And he starts building up his forces on Ukraine, on the border with Ukraine. Then after, on top of that, uh, we have this situation in Belarus where the dictator there, who's very close to Russia, Lukashenko, he orders a civilian aircraft to land just so he can arrest a dissident. Well, where is the Biden administration all of this? I mean, they're preparing for a meeting. They're studying really hard for this meeting. But what actual punishment is going to come, uh, much less all of the revelations surrounding the cyber hacks uh, and attacks on our infrastructure uh, from cyber criminals who we know are based in Russia, if not uh, operating in tandem with Russia. So Biden really has to begin to hold Putin's feet to the fire here. This is not something like we have to wait and see what he does next. I mean, the man's been in power for 20 years. We know exactly what he is. We, we, we know the president has called him a killer. It's time to start acting like it. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. So, Mark, I guess, you know, it's one thing that the Europeans say they like Joe Biden. They like the new leadership. You know, looking backwards, you look at how some of these countries dealt with President Trump and the Trump administration, and there was a, a hesitancy because they didn't know where he was going to go. They didn't know what was going to happen next. And uh, it seemed to me like it kind of kept China and Russia a little bit on guard. Hundred percent. I mean, look, and, and you know, it's not hard for Biden to have a smooth summit with uh, with our European allies because uh, all he has to do is not be Donald Trump. That they are thrilled that Trump is not pushing them on their trade practice. I mean, that Biden is not pushing them on our trade practices. That Biden is not threatening them if they don't start paying up what they promised to NATO that uh, they uh, he could pull out of the alliance. And Germany is certainly thrilled that he's not threatening sanctions against them for the Nord Stream pipeline. Uh, so this, from their perspective, it's great. All the pressure has been lifted. Uh, you know, the, to do the right thing, to do the things they promised to do, like spend 2% of their GDP on, on defense for the NATO alliance. But then you look at the results. So, you know, what was the Biden administration's big ask from the, from, from the communique from the G7? It was that we want them to condemn China's use of Uyghur slave labor, right? They couldn't do it. They didn't, it never made it into the communique. You know, they, and they, they asked China, to respect human rights and give Hong Kong uh, its promised autonomy. Yeah, right. Of course, China's going to take that very seriously. Uh, you know, there's a joke in the foreign policy circles that, uh, you know, if they, when the crisis erupts, the diplomats get together and, and deliver a strongly worded statement. They couldn't even muster a strongly worded statement, <laughs> much yeah. less put consequences on these regimes. So I'm not, I'm not, based on what's gone so far, I'm not terribly confident that there's going to be anything, uh, anything that's going to come out of this summit. Right. And the second thing about china was about the origins of the virus 
and sure. they're calling for a second WHO report. Well, the first one was essentially written by China, if you ask the experts, um, and the hope that a second one is somehow going to be revelatory is pretty, you know, pie in the sky. Well, on this, Harold, I mean, uh, so I think I think yesterday uh, on Fox uh, with Chris Wallace, the, the the current secretary of state and the former secretary of state were on and, and current secretary of state Blinken said we're looking resolutely forward. I think all the things that Mark and Matt have shared, there's some truth and there's some things that are not true in what they've said. Uh, I do think that we live in a fluid world. We live in a dangerous world. We live in a messy world. Uh, I can point to 10 things that happen on President Trump's watch. Uh, that probably were not smart, probably were dangerous, and without question were lethal and deadly, uh, including a massive hack at the time, the biggest hack against government systems uh, right in the second half of 2020, right before the election. And in fact, President Trump um, uh, rebuked the Secretary of State and the State Department when Secretary Pompeo wanted to release, actually said publicly that Russia was behind it, and the president came back behind him and said, no, try to assign blame to China. But look, I don't want to look back. I think looking, we got to assume in foreign policy that each president is trying to build on the, on the previous president. This president has a different strategy. Brett said it uh, in the, the second round of questioning to, uh, to Mark, which is, I think there's some world leaders who like some predictability and stability from the way America behaves. There was some value and upside in the way President Trump uh, at least tonally and rhetorically, uh, especially what he did around China, which I supported. But if you look at the outcomes, the outcomes were not any better. You got COVID out of there, and I think we should investigate. In fact, President Trump tried to get into China back last year in April and May, but was denied it. In fact, it was Biden who said during the campaign, I would force them to let me in. We're going to see now if he can get in. I'm not sure he will. And I think we should assume if China does not let us in, we should assume uh, the worst case scenario with regard to the lab leak and behave accordingly. But I think this president's approach is very different. And it's, it's different and it was validated last November when he won the election. I think the country wants a successful set of outcomes in Russia and China, and for that matter, other adversaries, including the Iranians and North Koreans, but are prepared to travel a, a different path. And we shall see. I think Matt and Mark want to be wrong. I hope they want to be wrong. And, and they're, they're, they're saying that we won't get much accomplished in these summits. And uh, Putin will maybe we shouldn't be meeting with him so soon. The president was just asked since we've been on, was he was it suggested to him by any foreign leader he's met with in the last week not to meet with President Putin? Because there's some experts here in America who are suggesting that this is the wrong time to meet with Putin. And according to President Biden, not one world leader uh, encouraged him not to meet with Putin. In fact, he just said that they all thanked him. For meeting with them. So there's some value here in the way this president litigates and prosecutes foreign policy. He's the most experienced uh, president we've had in foreign policy. That doesn't necessarily make him the best. I would agree with that. But certainly he had that, that experience set uh, informs and hopefully will guide him to better uh, to a better set of conclusions than he might have started uh, without it. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. We want to hear from you. Leave a rating and review. I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.